0: And, and turn with me to the Old Testament, to the book of 1 Samuel. And we're going to be continuing today with 1 Samuel chapter 10. 1 Samuel is a book of ancient history. It, it teaches us about how God has unfolded his plan of salvation that led to King David, and then from King David all the way to King Jesus— who comes in the the line and the lineage of David, that that 1 Samuel points us to what it looks like for for God to be king, for for God to rule and reign over all things for for his glory. Now, to catch you up where we are in the the story, back in chapter 8, Israel demanded a king. They said, we want a king like the the other nations around us. We don't want to be ruled by judges in each generation who are raised up, but we want a hereditary kingship so that we can have the, the stability and the order that we see in the world around us. And Samuel, the, the great prophet of Israel, who is, he's elderly at this point. He has been both a, a prophet and a judge. That he warned the people and said, no, you are rejecting God as your king. But they continued to demand a king. And then last week we looked at a a long section of scripture, chapter 9 all the way through the beginning of chapter 10. And this is where one of the major characters in this book, Saul, is introduced. And they said that he's he's a handsome man, he's a tall man, a shoulder above everyone else. And he is a relatively ordinary person, and you'll remember how he went out to search for his father's donkeys that were lost. He met the prophet Samuel, and he was privately anointed as king, but he still was unsure. He didn't think that he was the right man for the job of kingship in Israel. And so when he left, the, the Spirit of God rushed upon him. He prophesied But then when he got home and the donkeys had returned, he didn't tell anyone about being anointed king. He was keeping it a secret. He's still not sure that he wants to be king or that he is equipped to be king. But then now, as we start, pick up at verse 17 of 1 Samuel 10, uh, there's a change of scene again. Uh, We have the the assembly of Israel gathered together together, Again, just as we saw back in in chapter 8. And now, after being anointed privately, we'll see Saul being anointed publicly as king. So again, 1 Samuel chapter 10, beginning in verse 17. Now, Samuel called the people together to the Lord at Mizpah. And he said to the people of Israel, Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel. I brought you up out of Egypt, and I delivered you from the hand of the Egyptians and from the hand of all the kingdoms that were oppressing you. But today you have rejected your God who saves you from all of your calamities and your distresses. And you have said to him, set a king over us. Now, therefore, Present yourself before the Lord by your tribes and by your thousands. Then Samuel brought all the tribes of Israel near, and the tribe of Benjamin was taken by Lot. He brought the tribe of Benjamin near by its clans, and the clan of the Matrites was taken by Lot. And Saul, the son of Kish, was taken by Lot. But when they sought him, they could not, he, he could not be found. So they inquired again of the Lord, Is there a man still to come? And the Lord said, Behold, he has hidden himself among the baggage. Then they ran and took him from there. And when he stood among the people, he was taller than any of the people from his shoulders upward. And Samuel said to all the people, Do you see him whom the Lord has chosen? There is none like him among all the people. And all the people shouted, Long live the king! Then Samuel told the people the rights and duties of the kingship, and he wrote them in a book and laid it up before the Lord. Then Samuel sent all the people away, each one to his home. Saul also went to his home at Gibeah. And with him went men of valor whose hearts God had touched. But some worthless fellows said, how can this man save us? And they despised him and brought him no present but he held his peace. This is God's word. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we we thank you that your word is a light, that it guides our path. And today as we think about kingship and leadership, We pray for guidance of your spirit to understand, to apply, to grow, to humble, to encourage, to do all that you promise to do through your word, that we claim your promises today. In Jesus' name, amen. So as we discussed a a few weeks ago, there was a leadership crisis in Israel. I've outlined that for you a moment ago. And we also have talked about how there is a leadership crisis in the modern world as well, that there is a high degree of what we could call political idolatry in the wider culture, that so often we, we look at the political world, and it seems like the most important reality, that people think that, that what happens in Washington or Beijing or Moscow, that that is the most important reality. That's what you should pay attention to. And it's not that political reality isn't important, that we shouldn't care about it, that it's insignificant for our lives. But I think that quite often, Christians within the church can then follow the the pattern of political idolatry that we see in the wider culture around us. That Christians can begin to think that that what happens in in the halls of courts and in the realm of politics is far more important than what happens in the church or in the family or in other spheres of life. That we begin to to lift up politics as a form of our God or what we think can really solve the, the problems in the world. And so we need guidance then in the church, that w- we need guidance to, to think about w- what does it look like to engage in pol- politics or to have political engagement in our lives uh, while doing it in a way that, that honors God and that doesn't fall into the, the political idolatry of the culture around us. And so today I want to, to draw out Three lessons from our text on this theme of uh, political engagement. And so here's the, the first lesson that we can draw out from our text today that we need God's rebuke. That we need God's rebuke. You'll know, notice that's exactly what we, we see in our text, that uh, as you look here at, at 1 Samuel, chapter 10 that you see the the people of israel gathering together for uh, what would have otherwise been a very happy occasion that they're they're choosing a king that there would have been great celebration on this occasion but then the occasion is ruined in a sense that instead of samuel standing up like the the priest and princess bride, that we are gathered together today, uh, that that he begins by reminding the people of this stern rebuke from the Lord. And you can see that in, in verse 19 in your Bible. Look there in your Bible. It says, but today you have rejected your God who saves you from all your calamities, And your distresses, and you have said to him, Set a king over us. And one of the commentaries I looked at pointed out that maybe Samuel paused at that point. And I actually forgot to pause there when I was reading it, but perhaps he was even waiting. Are the people going to repent? Is there going to be corporate renewal at this point? But then perhaps there was silence, and then. They move on with the process of selecting the king of Israel. And I love that what one other commentary said that it says, God, Israel's God, may love us too much to be nice. His word may pursue us relentlessly until we hear it. He may even ruin a nice occasion if it will get your attention and lead you to repentance. That the God of the Bible is deeply loving, that he cares for us. But he can ruin a good occasion occasionally to, to get our attention. That, that he's willing to not seem nice on the surface. And that's exactly what we see here in our text. is The Lord, through his representative Samuel, rebukes the people for their political idolatry. And I think that as we pull it forward to the modern time, that if you, if you put Samuel in a time machine and brought him forward to the modern period, that I think he would have words of rebuke for the modern church as well. That he would echo the words of James in James 4.4 that says, You adulterous people. Do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. But those are very stark words from James. That it's God getting our attention, ruining a good occasion out of love for us. And I think that this applies to the way we think about political engagement as well. That we could hear the the loving rebuke of our Heavenly Father um, that would call out the way in which we, like Israel, look at the nations and say that's what we want. That we want to be like the, the world around us. That the priorities of the world should be our priority. Instead of starting with God at the center and His Lordship. And as I said, it's not that what happens in the political realm doesn't matter. That is, Christians were not called to follow the pattern of the Anabaptists. So you could think of the Amish, who are a branch within Anabaptism. uh, And they teach that we should separate completely from civil society. That Christians shouldn't take oaths, they shouldn't vote, that we should be completely and utterly separate from anything political at all. But in Scripture, we see the pattern that we are to be engaged in society, that we are to be in the world, not of the world, that we are not called to move off into our own community apart from civil society. So that's the one danger, is completely withdrawing. But then the other danger is to become... A theocratic church, to become theocrats who think that it's the job of the church then to run the government. You could think of the popes in the Middle Ages who, who took on both spiritual and political authority, uniting them and one with very little distinction between the spiritual and the political, following more of the the patterns of the Roman Empire than the patterns that we see laid out in scripture and so what is the the path forward then for faithful God honoring political engagement well I have two applications here and i've I've drawn these applications out in previous service, uh, sermons at other times so these may not be these may not be new to some of you uh, but I think that it's helpful as we unpack this text and so the the first Application is to pray more than you talk about politics that it's not that political engagement isn't important, but we should spend more time talking to God about our politicians than we spend talking to others about them that we should lift up our our civil government in prayer, but just even if you 're thinking about time spent in a given week or a given day so there 's prayer and then the second application is really has to do with Bible reading. That to, to read more Scripture than you consume political media. And I don't do this perfectly. It's, it's a goal. It's not something that is commanded in Scripture, but I think it's, it's a helpful check as we think about the danger of political idolatry that we see here in our text from Israel. That if you listen to an hour of nightly news... Consider reading your Bible for an hour, or if you spend an hour on Twitter looking at the news, read your Bible an equivalent amount, that at the very least, our intake of God's Word should be greater than our intake of political discourse. And I think that's one way that we guard ourselves against the the political idolatry of the surrounding culture that can often seep into the church or into our own hearts. So again, we need God's rebuke. That's the the first lesson that we can draw out of our text today. But then we see a second lesson on political engagement that we need God's leadership. We see God's leadership of his people in verse 20 to 23 in your Bible even as they're rejecting God as king, they're, they're pretty much helpless to try to select their own king. So they call on Samuel to do the work. And at this point, I think Samuel could have appealed to his own authority, that, that he could have said, well, I'm a prophet, and just so you know, I've already anointed a man named Saul privately. He's going to be king, and you guys need to accept it and get with this program. But I think he knew that People might be confused. Is this coming from Samuel's authority or is this coming from God's authority? And so ultimately, then Samuel looks to the authority of God in making the selection of a king. And so you see that as they gather together, Samuel casts lots. And that's an interesting practice um, to rely on a statistical probability to select the next king. Um, So it's an interesting election process. And you see this casting of lots elsewhere in the Bible. You see it in Joshua 18.10, when Joshua is dividing the land among the tribes. You see it in Jonah 1.7, where the sailors are trying to discern who caused the storm. You see it in Acts chapter 1, verse 26, as the disciples are seeking a replacement for Judas, who had betrayed Jesus. And so there's biblical precedent for this. You even see in Proverbs sixteen thirty-three, where it says, The lot is cast into the lap, but its every decision is from the Lord. And so gathering together, they they cast lots. And first it, it falls on the tribe of Benjamin. And then they cast lots again, and it falls on the clan of the Matrites. They cast lots again, and it falls on Saul, the son of Kish. And this is probably a humorous moment. I don't know if you've ever been at an award ceremony when finally the winner is announced, and everybody looks around the room. Would Joe Smith please come forward? You have won. And everybody looks around. Joe Smith! Look out in the back and see if Joe Smith is out in the lobby, or look downstairs. And so they start searching, and he's nowhere to be found. Saul, you have won the award. You are to be king. Come forward. And they search, and they search, and they begin to say, well, maybe it's somebody else, because we can't find Saul anywhere. And then they consult the Lord again, and God tells them that he is hiding in the baggage and so it says that they go and they, I don't know if they forcibly pull him out of the baggage, uh, but one way or another, here comes Saul before the people, and they look at him and they say, he's tall. This is the king that we've, we've been looking for. And commentators discuss whether or not this is a good thing or a bad thing that he was hiding. Uh, some think that it's good, that it, it shows a degree of humility. Uh, they often say in, in church life that if, if somebody's trying to take a leadership position, that you probably shouldn't give them the leadership position, that, uh, that it can show a degree of pride, that sometimes the best leaders are those who are rec- recruited uh, because they're starting with a posture of humility. So maybe that's what's operating here. Other commentaries think that this is a bad thing, that, that Saul isn't trusting the Lord in his uh, selection of him. Uh, that he's not trusting that the Lord would would give him what he needs to fulfill his calling, and that it it sets up the pattern of unfaithfulness and the failure to lead that would plague his kingship. And in my opinion, maybe it's a combination of of both of those. I think that we are often a mixed bag, that we all have mixed motivations. Maybe there was a, a motivation of good and bad from Saul here. But the point is, is that Israel was completely reliant on God for their leadership, even to the point of finding the man once he had been selected because he was hiding. And I think that there is a a lesson that we can learn from that today, that as we think about leadership, that we are completely dependent on the leadership of God in everything. That when we think about leadership, I don't recommend casting lots. There, are, there is biblical precedent, but I don't think it's the, the standard practice of the church. But as we think about leadership, who is the true king? That instead of casting lots, we consult the pages of Scripture, God's Word. And as you consult the pages of Scripture, it says, Look to the tribe of Judah, not the tribe of Benjamin. And then you consult scripture again, and it says, look to the house of of David, not the house of Kish. And then instead of pointing to Saul, it points to the Lord Jesus Christ, who who is our king. That he is the the true and the living king. And that's why in the picture of him in Revelation 19.16, it says that on his robe and on his thigh, he has a name written, King of Kings. Lord of Lords, that he is the ultimate king. And so you say, well, where can I find Jesus this morning? Well, in one sense, you could say he is hidden in the pages of Scripture, but Jesus is not hiding in the baggage, that he is standing with outstretched arms. What, what he says in Matthew 11, come to me all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. That Jesus calls us to come to him as the king, for us to go to him, casting our burdens and our cares on him, for him to rule and to reign in our lives over all things. And again, bringing this back to our discussion about political engagement. How do we avoid the the political idolatry of the surrounding culture? And I think that it comes back to Jesus, as almost every application does, to say Jesus is the king. And the more that we, we look to the lordship of Jesus, the more it helps us frame any kind of human decision, any kind of human leadership again, we need God's rebuke. We need God's leadership to lead us to the true king. But then finally, we need God's instruction. And you notice God's instruction for Israel in verse 25 in your Bible. Look there, it says that Samuel told the people the rights of and duties of kingship, and he wrote them all in a book and laid it up before the Lord. So here is Samuel. He's instructing the people on the role of the king, and and likely he's expounding on Deuteronomy 17 that lays out what kingship should look like in Israel, and I read that a few weeks ago, and you can go back and, and read that on your own. But God tells us exactly what kingship should look like. But if we're thinking about this passage from the perspective of political philosophy, this is significant, that this tells us something about how we should even think about political engagement today. That we see here a very rare idea in the history of leadership. The idea that a king has both rights and duties, and the idea that a king would be subject to written stipulations, that that here in a sense it's a divine written constitution, if you will, that limits the power of this king. That's so different from Egypt, or from the kings of Mesopotamia, from the surrounding world, the, the idea that they're is a king and a lord over any kind of earthly king and earthly lord. And there was actually a a book written in the 1600s by a Scottish Puritan named Samuel Rutherford, uh, and it was called Lex Rex, uh, which means the law is king. Um, You can think of T-Rex, the the word for, for king. Um, and it was this same principle drawing from the pages of Scripture uh, this idea of, of the supremacy of law, even over a king. So pushing against this idea of an absolute monarch. So again, even though the Bible doesn't tell us exactly what a political system should look like, that it, it lays seeds for our, our thinking that we see here, even in this text from ancient Israel. But then ultimately, we need Scripture. We need the instruction of Scripture, just like Israel, to teach us what a leader should look like. That is, we study the pages of Scripture, it's not the abusive leadership of tyranny. It's not the passive leadership of anarchy. But the, the, the leadership model that's held up in Scripture is the, the leadership pattern of Jesus, it's what sometimes is called servant leadership. And listen to how Jesus describes this in, Mark, in Matthew 20, verse 25. He says, But Jesus called them and said to them, You know that the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their great ones exercise authority over them. It shall not be so among you. But whoever would be great among you must be your servant. And whoever would be first among you must be your slave, even as the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. And so again, remember our central question of how do we avoid the the political idolatry of the culture around us? And we'll say it again, that it's looking to King Jesus, that he is the the pattern, he is the the paradigm of leadership, the leader who lays his life down for us, who gave himself for us. And so the call for each and every one of us is, is not to look to any political authority to give what only Christ can give, to look to him for life and hope and peace and safety and protection because he is calling us to himself to come on to him, to find rest in him today through the gospel. Let's pray. Father, we, we praise you for King Jesus, the, the King of kings and the, the Lord of lords forgive us father for the ways that we want to lift up political or earthly leaders above you lord we need your rebuke for the ways that we we spend more time in our political podcasts than we spend in your word lord let us yes care about what happens in our world care about what happens In politics, care about how we can work for justice and truth um, through our our vote and and through our influence uh, in a democratic society. But Lord, keep our focus on Jesus, Lord. Let us never look to any human leader, whether it's a political leader or a spiritual leader or an economic leader or a cultural leader. Let us never look to any mere human to provide what only Jesus can provide. And so, Father, draw us to him again today. I pray for those who don't know Jesus, that they can find him as King Jesus, the Lord of their lives, who can call them to cast all their burdens and their cares on him. And Lord, I pray for those who are burdened this morning, that we can come into your courtroom that we can know the safety, the protection, the life that we have, the provision that we have, because our king is a faithful king who protects his people to the end, even as he purchased a place for us in heaven through his perfect life and sacrificial death. And so, Father, we praise you in his name. Amen. So as we come now to, to this meal, that this is another way that we, we break the call of political idolatry, that, that we're, we're drawn back to see the priority of Jesus, that, that we have a king who laid down his life so that his body was broken and his blood was shed for the forgiveness of our sins. Now, if you're here and you've not bowed the knee to King Jesus, if you're, if you're still unsure about the, the claims of, of Christianity, we're so glad that you're here. We want this to be a place for you, uh, but we would encourage you to wait, to not take this meal today. Uh, but for the rest, you don't have to be a member of Hope Church or Presbyterian Church, but to be one that is trusting in Jesus has made that public by being part of a church that proclaims the gospel, not bound by the action of another church from from taking this that one who is resting in in jesus for salvation and then ultimately we come as those that can profess the faith that we hold together so turn to page nine in your order of worship and we'll profess together what we believe this ancient summary of the the foundations of christian belief i believe in god the father almighty Maker of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who is conceived by the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary. He suffered under Pontius Pilate. He was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended into hell. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From there he will come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. Because on the night that our Lord was betrayed, he took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to his disciples, saying, This is my body. Which is for you, do this in remembrance of me. The same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood, poured out for the forgiveness of sins. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. And so, ministering to you in his name, I give you this bread and this cup. So I'd encourage you to to come forward when you're you're ready. You can come down the center. Um, On the table here, we have gluten-free that has both the juice and the bread. Uh, You can take that back to your your chair. You can take it from the table and go this way. Um, Jonathan um, and I will be standing here, so if I can break off a piece of bread and give it to you, you take the cup, Uh, return to uh, your chair. And then um, Ernie... um, Well, has uh, a tray here, Uh, and so if if mobility is an issue, feel free to to raise your hand, and he'll come around and bring it to you. Um, Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this meal, um, that as we come today, uh, that that we come um, to a meal not hearing your rebuke, but hearing your call, and that even those who are weak, even those who are feeble, uh, come and and be strengthened. And Lord, so we pray that you would strengthen our faith, that you would guard us, um, that this could be an opportunity to examine our hearts, um, to do business with you and our our patterns of sin that we have not repented of and brought to you, and that you would use this again to renew us. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. The blood of Christ shed for the forgiveness of sins. So if you take your order of worship, turn to the next page, page 10. Stand if you're able. We'll sing 10,000 Reasons. Thank you so much for worshiping with us today. Um, If you want to give as an act of worship, responding to God's work in your life, uh, you can put your gift in the the box on the welcome table in the back. If you're visiting with us, feel no pressure to give. Uh, But we would love to, to reach out to you. And I'd mentioned that Connect card in the seat in front of you, and there's more Connect cards in the back.